Hi, pal, and welcome to season two of I've Got Your Back, the podcast. I am so excited that this season is going to be about entrepreneurship. So if you are an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur and you're curious about how to be one, what it means, how do you embody the mindset, or how do you create ways to become an entrepreneur, and any lessons there are in being an entrepreneur, then this season is for you. Speak to you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of season two of I've Got Your Back, the podcast. And this season is all about entrepreneurship. I'm so excited because I love being an entrepreneur and I love learning from other entrepreneurs and I just love what it's all about. So I thought I would spend this episode sharing my journey to become what I call now a social entrepreneur. And I really believe it's important that I share my story because a lot, one, a lot of you don't really know what I did before what I do now and where I've come from. And I, I always believe in sharing stories that we really learn from each other. And, and I believe in sharing stories so that we can learn from each other's lessons and maybe, you know, inspire um, along the way to really either become a full-time entrepreneur or just embody the entrepreneurial mindset. You don't need to be like a full-time entrepreneur to actually experience what entrepreneurship is. And I don't think a lot of people know that or believe that. And I want to share my story with you to really um, encourage you or inspire you to maybe think a bit more entrepreneurial. So where do I even begin? <laughs> so I really, I really believe it. I'd love to go back to the beginning of sort of childhood. And as most of you know, I grew up in Paisley, which is a town outside of Glasgow in Scotland. And I was brought up very traditionally in very humble beginnings. You know, I was brought up by a single mum. It was myself and my brother. And, you know, I was brought up very traditionally um, and also in a very traditional community. It was all about go to school, go to university or college if you get the opportunity. Not everyone had that opportunity, but if you can, then go and then get yourself a job and then work your way up in that company and then the job for the rest of your life. And, you know, that's the way I was brought up. And that's really all I could see around me as well. Like most people went to school, either left, went to college or university, or they just went straight into a job and that was them. And for some reason that didn't really sit with me. And I was I was really trying to like reflect on like why was that? And I really go back to when I was 15 years old. My aunt Anne Marie gave me the book called The Secret by Rhonda Brown. And this book literally changed my mind and my beliefs and my attitude almost overnight. And, and that's why I'm so passionate about getting like sort of self-development and personal development and, you know, education to young people at this age, because it can be so influential and, you know, a seed that can be planted then could really help or empower like a young person to go in a completely different direction and something that was really unknown to them. And it was very unknown to me um, when I read this book and what it was saying. And essentially it was saying like, when 
your mind is so powerful and you can actually attract whatever it is you want in your life. However crazy it may seem, you actually can, you know, use your mind for good. And when I read that book, it sort of put me on this path of thinking quite differently from the sort of education system that we had. So, you know, I very much in primary school, I was sort of average, maybe, maybe sort of did well based on my behavior. And I was probably a bit of a nice, goody, two shoes type of person. But I remember being average, getting average grades. And then in my later years in school, in secondary school, I actually failed English twice. I failed maths. Um, I, the only thing I was good at was art and history. And then that wasn't seen as, you know, subjects that would get you the sort of jobs of the future or, you know, could ever eventuate into anything. Like, so those cultural subjects really were, yeah, I think they were cast down a lot. And English and maths and science and all of those things were like on a pedestal. And I just really struggled like academically because one, I just didn't really get them as much as I got art and culture and history. And yeah, and I just remember struggling quite a lot. And what happened was the only reason I got into university was because um, I sort of failed most subjects fifth and sixth year of school. So my last two years of school but I knew at that time, well, I never really knew. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but getting some advice from Uncle Tony, who's always been a big mentor of mine, he said, you know, whatever is going to happen in the future, technology is going to play a part. So why don't you go into, go and find like a technology degree or something to do with tech in a university? So that was really good advice because ultimately he was like, if you just get into tech, then that's going to be the future, which of course Uncle Tony was right. So. I remember that I had to get three grades. I had to get a B and two Cs to get into the local university. So back then it was University of Paisley and I struggled. So the only way I get in is because I appealed on English. So when you appeal it, basically you what you do is you basically beg for a pass, even though you failed the exam based on your performance in the last two years in English. And so based on some of my writing and some of the things I had done in the class, I actually got a C. So I remember the week before like university was supposed to start. I mean, most people got their grades and knew exactly where they were going for university. I was literally a week before uni was about to start running up to University of Paisley with my appealed English certificate to say, please let me in, please. I literally had to beg with this appeal that I got. So I got the C and that C literally got me into university for the next four years. And I studied business IT and marketing so it was a nice balance because it was sort of tech um, but it was also business and marketing which I actually enjoyed I knew that I sort of enjoyed that I didn't know where it was going to end up but it was subjects I enjoyed so I was sort of on that traditional career path but sort of struggling through it even in my last year at university the same as sort of um, school I act between third year and fourth year I actually failed an exam and I was working in America at the time for a summer and I had to actually reset that exam in order to get into fourth year. So I flew back. I literally flew back for five days to reset this exam. And I got another C, which got me into my last year at uni. So when I look back and reflect, I really did struggle academically and especially with exams. Um, It wasn't until towards the end of fourth year that my dissertation, because I had time 
to sort of research and reflect and um you know be quite innovative about it that gave me sort of better grades and a lot of the business and marketing subjects I actually like got better grades on but a lot of the technical ones I didn't really do that well and so I suppose you could say that my mind maybe from all I think most people at a young age are very creative if you think of young people we're all they're always doing creative things like playing and sport and you know all the fun stuff but for some reason we get into school and university and then we think all get serious and we need to know these like boring subjects that we're never going to know again or use again um and so I definitely felt that from school and university I never quite fit the system if that makes sense and so I think looking back now I probably did struggle a little bit there was probably some stress there but I sort of because I had learned about the power of the mind I always had this sort of positive mindset to it like even if I got to see that get me to the next stage like I wasn't like I need to get five A's or anything like that of course I'd aspire to that but academically I never quite got there anyway so I decided that I actually come out of uni with a 2-1 honours degree which surprised me as well as everyone else and mainly because I just was persistent and I just was willing to do the work even though it was a struggle for me to do a lot of these subjects I was willing to show up and do the work and I studied and I practiced and I asked questions and yeah I was just willing to do the work and I was willing to be persistent like coming back five days sitting the exam getting a scene going okay well I've done it I'm in you know like running up to the University of Paisley like I've got a C let me in I was I wasn't ashamed about getting a C to get places you know and I sort of knew at that point I needed a sort of 2-1 or a first honours or first degree honours to really get that next stage which again in my mind traditionally was a job or a graduate job and they were they were really big at that time when I was sort of you know, looking at different things. So again, Uncle Tony was there for a bit of advice in terms of he's like, why don't you look at some tech companies? So cut a long story short, I applied for multiple jobs. I can't even remember how many now, but I applied for a lot. And then I landed a job with Hewlett Packard. So they're like a global IT company. And I had to go through this real rigorous process to become a graduate. So they at that time, they were taking on about 80 graduates in all of the UK. And they had about 6,000 applications and they whittled that down and whittled that down to 80 over a period of time. So I had to do an assessment online. I then had to do an assessment centre. So I actually had to fly to London and do this full day assessment with people watching you, like do practical activities and teams, like interact with people, problem solve, like all of these things. When I think back now, I was like, that was really intense. But I had to do this all day thing. Then I think I might have had to do like another test online. Then I had to do an interview and then I got offered a job. So I was pretty proud. Again, I, I just had that positive mindset that even though, you know, I was applying to be a technical consultant, I knew I wasn't that technical. I understood certain things, but I was definitely more of a marketing. I was more of a people person. Like I understood people and I understood customer service because I'd worked in Marks and Spencers for years when I was studying uni, literally providing customer service. And so I sort of got that side of things, but I, I wasn't really that technical. But what happened was, I think purely because of my mindset and because I was willing to see a problem and come up with solutions 
And they obviously noticed that in the assessment center, which again is a really powerful trait of an entrepreneur or having an entrepreneurial mindset. It's like, okay, you've got a problem here. So instead of blaming other people or being a victim and saying, oh, well, you know, of course this is going to happen to me or, or blaming someone else. I learned at a young age, mainly through books, actually, that if you can have, if you're given a problem, then come up with a solution and be positive about it. Like this is coming around for a reason. And what are the solutions you can bring? And I think because HP is an, and still is an innovative brand, solutions focused, they, they really like that sort of aspect. And actually, I think a lot of the reasons I get in was because of my customer service and two, because of my mindset, not again, necessarily because of my academia, you know, the two, one just got me in the door, but I really don't believe that that was why I got the job. Anyway, so 6,000 applicants, down to 80 graduates. I was the only one of only five women, I think, that were part of that grad program. God, if that happened now, I think everybody would be in trouble. But yeah, there was only five or six women. It was like ridiculous. Um, and I was one of only two from Scotland, from all of the UK. And that was a guy um, and he had already worked with HP. So I felt really proud of myself. Like I feel as if, you know, going into HP on that traditional career path, I had to show a bit of resiliency and persistency, which again is entrepreneurial habits to sort of get in. And then when I get in, I, I, I pretty much, um, again, fumbled my way through. Like I didn't really know, like I sort of just was like, okay, where am I going to fit into this big company? And very quickly I specialized in, change management, which basically means that we were helping people change with the IT that we're implementing because you can implement the best technology on the planet, but if people don't adopt it and learn it and use it and love it, you're never going to get that return on investment because of the resistance to change. So everyone in some way or form is resistant to change. I actually personally love change, um, but a lot of people are resistant to it. So I developed the skills and the leadership to lead other people and help other people through that change. And so I love that. And again, I, I really believe that's an amazing thing to learn um, as an entrepreneur, because you're actually a lot of the time creating businesses or solving problems and creating solutions that a lot of people have never heard of before. And a lot of people might not necessarily like because it's away from what they've been used to. So have again, I really believe in those areas, even though I was technically in a job and an employee, I actually was developing a lot of entrepreneurial skills and mindset for later down the track. So I was working in London, all around the country for numerous organizations, the foreign office, um, a government organization, um, Barclays Bank, like universities, like such a variety of things, um, but mainly helping in them, helping them change. And it was really interesting. So what happened, I was about a year and a half into that grad program. And one of my friends in Scotland, Meg McLean, that some of you might know, she um, sent me a message and said, would you be interested in learning about this other business called Arbonne? And she said, I've started, I'm really loving it. And I think you would really love it too. And so I was down in London at the time, but I came back up for my cousin's wedding and I met up with Meg and Emma and Emma's mom, Caroline. So they had been you know, running their Arbonne businesses a bit longer. I had no idea. Like I had no clue what Arbonne was um, as a company. I had no clue about social marketing or network marketing. I had no clue about even having another business. But again, I had this 
open mindset and curious mind again which is so important as as entrepreneurs to be curious and open because then you you allow other things to come in to your sort of your ether because um if you aren't open if you've got a closed mindset or a fixed mindset these opportunities don't come in you know and so because I had sort of developed this open and curious mind I think this is why it came in and for those of you, again, just to go back to when I was 15 years old, the only dream I ever had in vision was to live and work in Sydney, Australia, because I visited when I was 15 years old. I read that book, The Secret, at 15 years old, and I was like, I can do anything. <laughs> like, I am totally going to live in Sydney, Australia. And that was my dream. So that was always, that was sort of playing in the background as well. I had this sort of bigger vision for my life. Um, again, like entrepreneurial mindset, like having that bigger vision and bigger dream and sort of something that's quite big is really good because it, again, it allows you to grow as a person, but grow towards that vision or dream as well. So that was sort of on my mind. And then when I met Meg and Emma and Caroline, we had a conversation about Arbonne and I like, honestly, sort of don't remember what was said in that meeting. <laughs> And it was just around like Caroline's kitchen table, but I just remember the way it made me feel. And it was just like, my gut was like, you have to do this. Like there's something about this company. There's something about this opportunity that's coming to you now for a reason. And you just have to say yes. And there was a couple of things I think that did stand out, obviously, because I had this dream and vision of like, I wanted to live and work in Australia I found out that Arbonne also operated in Australia. And I was like, hmm, there's a connection here. I don't know what that means, but there's a connection. Um, maybe this is a company that could help me live out that dream, potentially, who knows? I didn't, I remember thinking at the time, I didn't have any savings. I didn't really have a plan B. And what was interesting then was that even though we were taught as graduates, like, oh yeah, you're going to be the next CEO. You're going to be like, you know, you're going to be so amazing in this company. What happened was a global financial crisis hit at that time. And what I saw was graduates that I started with the age of 22 or 23 made redundant. And that was never said to me like that was if you were made redundant, that was like when you were like 50s or something, you know, you were older, like the concept of being made redundant at 22, 23 really sort of shocked me. And I remember like thinking, Michelle, pay attention to what's going on in the world because this has come in for a reason. When this is happening over here, people are getting made redundant the same age as you. And it was literally just a numbers game and they landed in the wrong place in the company and they had to cut numbers. Um, so you've got to have a plan B. You've got to have something else. And, and, you know, again, entrepreneurship is about that. It's not just about one way that you can make an impact or one way that you can make income. Income, I really believe, is about multiple impact streams and income streams you want to make sure you've got a few because at different stages in the business cycle when you know everything's going to go up and down you want to make sure you've got other things going on so that you keep that impact going but you keep that income going more importantly so I sort of feel as if that was an important one to learn there so I was like you know what I'm going to say yes I said yes without fully understanding it not having the skills but I definitely had a mindset a positive mindset that knew that I could learn and I was willing to learn and I was willing to do the work and I was willing to, yeah, maybe like not, I mean, I wouldn't say it's sacrifice, but a lot of people call it sacrifice, a couple of hours of social time to build this business on the side. And, you know, now we call it a side hustle. A lot of people have multiple side hustles as well as their job. 
But back then, if you think of this, was 14 years ago. So actually this month is my 14 year anniversary with Arbonne. And 14 years ago, that was pretty unheard of. Nobody was really, we didn't call it a side hustle. We didn't know. We, we were just like, oh, we're just going to do this because it sounds fun. It sounds great. And, and it will help us achieve things we've never achieved before. So that was it. I jumped in. So I think that was really the beginning of me, like having a job, but also having this other business as a, as a sort of side business or creating this other impact income stream. And so what happened for about five years, I sort of, you know, I think with Arbonne, I treated it like a hobby for like probably the first year or two. I was just like, yeah, I was all enthusiastic the first six months. And then, you know, a few people, I think I was scared what other people thought and, you know, Although in a lot of ways I wasn't because I just said yes, even though a lot of people didn't agree with what I was doing. And again, that's a big thing about entrepreneurship. No one will fully understand you or what you're doing. There'll be some, but there won't be many. And back then there wasn't many people that got what I was doing at all. And they were like, you've got a job, you're fine. Like, why would you need this? Um, So I remember I sort of, you know, was maybe focusing a lot on my HP career because they actually moved me from you know, London to Melbourne to Sydney. So I was still working there and I was probably putting in a bit more effort with them rather than Arbonne. So uh, yeah, for the first two years, obviously I was treating it like a hobby. And what that means is, you know, you just dabble in and out. You do it as a bit of a passion thing and, you know, you're not really treating it like a business. And I, I definitely feel as if that's what I did for the first year or two. But I had moments where I treated it like a business, but then I was quite inconsistent. And then what happened for about five, I think after that sort of two years, I got to Sydney, so I was like, I'm living my dream, like my childhood dream. Like I, I was honestly in awe every day that I was living and working in Sydney, Australia. And for me, it was about, okay, well, now that dream's achieved, what's the next one? And I, again, that's a, such a powerful thing as an entrepreneur. It's like, you're always sort of thinking and or believing like a couple of years in advance before it actually happens. So I remember saying, right, this is it. What's my next dream or goal? And even though I... I genuinely had lots of great moments in my day job with HP. There was just some things that I was like, this is absolute BS. Like the politics, the competition, the people climbing all over each other to impress the boss and all, all that stuff. I'm just not into, right? I, I'm, I was definitely ambitious, but all the other stuff that comes with working in a big corporate company, the backstabbing and the talking behind people's backs, I was just like, oh, I don't know. And And also like leaders didn't get it. Like I was like, why are you not looking after your people? If you look after your people, they look after your customers, they look after the shareholders. Like, you know, it's about everyone. And there was always this sort of, I remember just thinking everyone in this company just talks about numbers. And of course, numbers are important, but they shouldn't start there. And I, I was, all again, I was always a bit different the way I thought and having conversations with leaders and managers, I was like, why don't these people get it? And so I, I love sort of introducing concepts and things to them to sort of help. But I remember just thinking the more time that I spent there, the more time I spent in Arbonne with positive, driven, curious, open people that did invest in people um, and the planet. Like I just, I had less sort of um, patience for working with people that didn't, you know? So I remember being in that space. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to treat Arbonne like a business consistently. For the next five years and I sort of gave myself that because realistically I was working 67 hours a week and HP and then I was sort of doing this a couple of hours that I could each week with Arbonne but I remember specifically this is why Wednesdays this is why I bring out the podcast on Wednesdays because I, in reflection I've realized that every Wednesday night I decided for five years 
I was going to commit to Arbonne and building that business every single Wednesday, no matter what. And I did. And so what happened with, and then obviously from the Wednesday night, I was gaining more confidence and more results. So then I started to do other hours and other time because you get that motivation. So again, a really big tip is like, you don't feel as if you're motivated a lot of the time, but when you take action, that action leads to motivation. And so then you'll start doing more. So people think it's the other way around, but actually you've got to take the action first. So I would encourage you to do that, whatever it is you're thinking of, like, just take the next step, just take that action, because then your motivation and excitement and all the other things start to ripple on from there. So I did that. And then within about five years, building Arbonne part-time alongside HP consistently, that's most important, it's consistency. Um, I had, I started to develop like halfway through that. I was like, I want to like leave my job before I turn 30. That became my thing. And when I was sharing my vision with people in Arbonne, I was like, I'm using Arbonne as a vehicle to, obviously we're making a positive impact through the products, the community, and we're making a a positive impact in the environment through our packaging and things like that. But for me personally, I just shared with people, this is my vehicle to leave my full-time job because I love my job, but I've now been in it, what, a few years and I know I don't want to do it for the next 30, 40 even like 15 years or 10 years, like I was like, I know I don't want to do this every single day for the next how many ever years. So I was using our bonds of equal to create the income that I needed for the lifestyle that I had to sort of replace my HP income and then some, and then sort of take that leap. So a lot of people do ask me about this, like, how did you take the leap? And for me, it was a, it was a five-year strategy. Um, could I have done it sooner? Absolutely. But for me, that's all I could do. That's all I could manage at that time. And looking back now and, you know, I wouldn't change it because I think I learned so much about balancing both as well and building that consistency, the consistency of just doing a tiny bit every single day. So, yeah, so five years came. And then in August 2014, I was 29 years old and I wasn't planning to sort of obviously my goal was 30 so I was my birthday's January the 30th so I was planning on leaving like on and around my 30th birthday which was January but what actually happened was I got bullied for the last six months of my career really really severely bullied and to the point where it really affected my health my mental health and my physical health and so I was so grateful. I'll never forget this. Actually, that month of August, I'll never forget because I handed in my notice on the 1st of August and I basically said to HP, I said, listen, I have loved my career. So I did seven years with them across multiple countries, multiple roles, multiple teams, and I had amazing opportunities. And of course, they actually paid for my visa and my residency to be in Australia. So I'll always be forever grateful for them for that. But equally, Equally, I put in the work for that company. I, I, I was sort of entrepreneurial. So a lot of people call that entrepreneurs. Like I brought my entrepreneurial flair and my creative thinking, innovative thinking and solutions focused and positive mindset into my job every day. So it wasn't like I wasn't being an entrepreneur. I was, but I was doing it inside the company. So of course they get a lot of value from me and they didn't want me to leave. But what happened in that moment is I said, listen, our values are now misaligned because this is the first time I've been severely bullied consistently for a number of months. And not only has this person bullied one person, they've bullied multiple people and you still will not take action. And for me, that's where the integrity 
just was lost. I was like, I cannot work for a company that will stand by a bully. And I was just so empowering. I remember writing a letter. I'll see if I can find it. Actually, I wrote a letter to the managing director who I worked for in HP. And I said, all of this. And I said, our values are misaligned now and I'm leaving. Take this as one month's notice. And it was the most, honestly, the most empowering, one of the most empowering things I've ever done in my life to be able to say that I have sort of like, you know, building this business in the background, you know, not really needing it at the time because I did have a a good income and I, I was getting fulfillment in HP, but I was sort of preparing for something I didn't know was going to happen, right? And sometimes that's what businesses and entrepreneurship can allow for, especially in network marketing, because you're sort of building up this sort of residual income. Because when people are signed up as client customers or consultants, like they're buying products all the time, they end up loving the product. So they'll buy consistently every month. And so that creates that income. And so I remember just feeling so grateful and so empowered that some a decision that I made, what, five, six years before was going to help me so help me so much in that moment. So I handed him a notice on the 1st of August 2014. And my grandfather actually passed away that month as well, who was like my father, you know, he was just the heart and soul of our family. Like I even get emotional thinking about it now, but I was able to fly back home and just to be with my family, not have to book a ticket for the way back or to answer to a boss or to ask for more time off or any of that. And I had the income and actually I did nothing in my business that month because I was just grieving. I was so sad. And and I remember in that month, we had the biggest month we had ever had in the whole sort of six or seven years I'd done Arbonne. And that is what is so powerful about entrepreneurship is you do things and you don't really fully realize the impact it's going to make on yourself, but also your family and other people. And it was just so powerful. And just to think at like 29 years old, I was able to have that impact on my life, but on other people's lives. Um, And it was just so powerful. And that's to me just want, it just fueled me to do more. Like I just wanted more of that freedom and that flexibility and um yeah more choices more options um yeah so it was really pivotal that was sort of a really pivotal moment and I was so grateful that I took on this entrepreneurial journey you know years prior not really fully knowing that in the moment um and so for the last sort of eight nine years I have literally been a full-time social entrepreneur so just for those of you that don't know, I'll, I'll explain this in another episode because I'll go into more detail. But to me, social entrepreneurship, it needs to be said that way because I really believe that entrepreneurship has become, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, you know, let's build businesses for money. Let's make as much money as possible for ourselves and not really make an impact or, or not have a positive impact in communities on people or environment. Like, let's, you know, not pay our people well and let's like grind them into the ground and not look after their well-being to basically make this money you know make this end goal and so social entrepreneurship for me is all about how you benefit everyone you benefit your people you benefit the community you you have a positive impact on all of those things as well as the planet and you really sort of stand for something more than just finding a problem and having a solution and to make money to deliver to shareholders. I think it's about, yes, identifying problems and mainly in the social and environmental space because actually that's where most of the challenges and issues in society lie. So if we can help 
any social or environmental issue. So choose one that you're passionate about and actually create a business or a solution around that and make sure it benefits all people. So as you're providing your product or your service, you're benefiting all the people that makes that happen, but you're also benefiting the social or environmental cause, you know? So that's what I believe in. And that's why I believe social entrepreneurship is what we can talk about and what we can say to really differentiate ourselves from just traditional entrepreneurship. Um, I hope one day that it's just entrepreneurship, but I do feel at this moment in time, we do need to differentiate it. Um, yeah, so for the last eight or nine years, I've just been trying lots of different things out. I've done startups, um, I've worked for not-for-profits, social enterprises, I've traveled and learned so much. I think being an entrepreneur, travel and culture and experiencing how different uh, different cultures do things. You know, I've been in Nepal um, six or seven times to learn about entrepreneurship and business and their way of culture and religion and everything there and their philosophies um you know I've become a meditation and breath work teacher again to me this is all about entrepreneurship it's about growing your mind and learning about new things and discovering like problems or challenges for people and then perhaps coming up with business models or um, solutions that can help those things so I spent the sort of last eight nine years doing that and today that's brought me to I mean, running like a couple of businesses, but mainly obviously Arbonne is still well and truly in my life. And I'll always be grateful for Arbonne because it's just been that sort of, you know, that solid line, that solid community and inspiration. And, you know, the people within that, we've most of us have just connected in such a deep way over the years, especially most of us in Scotland that have been together for 14 years and, you know, been through all the peaks and troughs and gone through everything together. So that's what that's my main income now. And then I've got another business that I started, Definity, three years ago, which is all about what I just talked about. So helping companies become B Corp certified because that really helps people become more ethical in their business, more um, socially and environmentally minded. And it really helps them create a business that benefits all. That's really what B Corp means. It's a business that benefits all people and has a positive impact and is for the greater good. So that consultancy I started three years ago. And, and again, actually, because a really great thing and lesson and, and tip I would give you about entrepreneurship, you've got to, again, like I said, prepare for those peaks and troughs. So when actually Arbonne was at a massive high, probably the biggest months in my business were 2020, beginning of 21, I knew it was going to come down. So instinctively and intuitively, that's when I started Definity because that's when that, that I knew that one was going to build. And I knew that there was something about B Corp. The same feeling I had about Arbonne, that gut instinct, I had a gut instinct about B Corp. And I knew that that was going to help businesses in the future. So I started that then to help with the dip in Arbonne. And, you know, we're probably riding that dip sort of up and down for the last sort of since 21 to yeah 2022 and into 23 I think now we're just starting to come back up but because I started Definity that allowed me to sort of keep the income the same so again that's why you've got to have multiple things Um, so I've got Arbonne I've got Definity and um, you know I you know I really love more and more the concept of wellness and well-being being this core thing is especially as entrepreneurs that you have to have and so I've transformed my own health and wellness a lot through Arbonne and then just, you know, I've explored different things. And I really believe that breathwork and meditation 
um, and mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, just looking after your mind and your body and your soul is so important. So, you know, I um, have qualified to teach breathwork and meditation. And for me, yoga nidra is a practice that I'm really passionate about. And I really believe yoga nidra, like I, I really believe we're going to see yoga nidra studios pop up over the next five to 10 years. So again, an entrepreneurial thing is to think sort of years ahead of like what people need now and what people are going to need in the future and how to start those things so I have started um that practice and sharing that practice with people every week so that's again and again that's another impact and income stream and you know there will be the odd thing the coaching and consulting is always a thing that I get asked about and you know if if the company is aligned or the person's aligned and we have aligned values then I'm all if I can, you know, time-wise, I'm always going to help with that. So again, that's more impact, more income streams. So, you know, you could argue I've got like four or five income streams, but they do say, I remember hearing this for the first time quite a number of years ago now from Tony Robbins that in order to have true freedom, so time freedom and financial freedom, it is about having seven impact residual income streams. For me, I'm going for eight. I just love that number, eight. It's a bit like infinity definity that's you know infinite infinite possibilities infinite dreams infinite whatever you know like there's always these possibilities so I like eight so I, I've chosen to have to go for eight impact streams and income streams because again like just the feeling of being in service and impacting people through your work every day is really huge and I do believe you can have that as an employee but I do believe you get to do more, have more impact as an entrepreneur. That's what I've learned over the years. I think also if you're listening to this and you are in a company or in a job, you can make a positive impact because it really comes down to your mindset and develop an entrepreneurial mindset. So I've sort of covered off a lot there, but I thought, do you know what? It's always good to share a story. And if you think about my story coming from a very traditional background and upbringing, and then you know, like from 15 to 35, you know, oh, I'm 38 now, actually. But if you think of over those decades, I've embraced the traditional, but I've developed an entrepreneurial mindset. And I've experienced so much, like I honestly can say, like, I think I've done every job, everything from marketing to strategy to communicate. I used to write communications for leaders. I used to do employee engagement when I was in my HB career. Like I've, I've really tried it all. But I really do feel now that I'm doing work. I only choose work now that brings me great joy. And I know that's going to make a positive impact on people and our planet. So, but that took time, right? If you think of that timeline, you know, I wasn't thinking that at 15 years old. I certainly wasn't thinking it when I was going for a, a job with HP, you know, arguably wasn't even thinking about it at the beginning of our bond. You know, it's just something that's evolved over time yeah listen in the next few episodes I'm going to share a lot more in terms of lessons um and who knows we might get to in, um, interview a couple of great entrepreneurs that I know but yeah thanks for listening and I'll speak to you soon thank you so much for listening to this episode I so appreciate your time and as a thank you and especially for this season which is all about entrepreneurship it's so important to look after yourself from a mind, a body, and a spirit point of view. So as a gift, you can download my Yoga Nidra practice from my website, 
and this is a guided meditation to really regenerate your mind, your body and your soul. I hope you enjoy and I'll speak to you soon.